Welcome to the Center Branch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Father, we love you. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and speak to our hearts. Father, I ask that you would bless each one of us and that you would bless us with eyes to see, bless us with ears to hear. Father, you would bless us with hearts that are tender, receptive, hearts that are like good soil. That, Father, as we encounter your word today, we would be doers of the word and our lives would bring forth clear and abundant fruit. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I remember when, when Beth and I first started dating, we were in college, and we went to school in Missouri. She grew up in Delaware, so she was a long way away from home. And every once in a while, her parents would come out and visit her in, in Missouri. And so when we started dating, when her parents came to visit, that's when I got, got to meet them, and we would go out to eat and spend time together. And I can remember one of the times that we went out to eat and we'd finished the meal and there were some other people that had gone out to the restaurant with us and we're just sitting around talking the way that people do after they've, after they've finished eating together. And the topic of conversation was just things that we all have in common, things that we could all identify with, things that we've, we've all gone through. And I'm, I'm the guy that's dating the daughter. I'm kind of new to the relationship, trying to impress them. So I think I'm going to join in this conversation. I'm going to have something to contribute. And so they're talking about things that are, are familiar to all of us. And I say, well, like, like when you dream about going to school naked, thinking that it was something, I, I genuinely thought that was something that everyone has had the dream where you go to school and you get to school and you realize you forgot to put your, your, your clothes on. Apparently, her parents had never had that dream because they looked at me like I, I was the biggest pervert, twisted, just an idiot sitting there. You know, I'm starting to second guess myself because I have just told them that I dream about going to school naked. So that, you know, there were, some of their concerns were, were valid. But I, I, I thought that everyone had had, had that dream. So they, they looked at me like I was stupid and that really kind of set the tone for our relationship moving forward. Still the way that they look at me. But maybe some of you have had a dream similar to that. You know, when you're in middle school or you're in high school and you have that dream where you arrive at school and you're starting to go through your day and you realize that as you were getting ready for school or as you were getting ready for work, whatever it is for you, somehow you forgot to put any clothing on. And for some reason in my dreams, you just, you just, I just decide that I'm going to stick it out. I mean, I'm at school. I have to stay here. So, you know, in my dreams, I'm sitting in my desk, hoping nobody notices that I'm not wearing any, any clothing, afraid to get up from, from my desk, you know, carrying my books through the hallway, you know, very, very careful where I'm placing my books as I'm, as I'm carrying them. And if you've had a dream like that, then maybe you can identify with some of the anxiety and the stress. I mean, it just, it's, it's a terrible, terrible dream, hoping that nobody realizes that you're, you're naked and you're trying to be clever with the way you, you know, hide yourself at your locker and, and all of those kinds of things. Well, the passage of scripture that we've been using to sort of launch from in this series, Adam and Eve find themselves in kind of a similar predicament that they are hiding and they are filled with fear and anxiety, 
hiding, avoiding God because of their nakedness. The thing is, is that in that passage, it tells us that they had just put clothes on. They just made themselves clothing out of fig leaves. You guys know the story. We've reviewed it several times. They sin. They realize they're naked. They make themselves clothing. They hear God coming, so they run and they hide. When God finally locates them or they come out of their hiding place and have a conversation, Adam explains, well, here's what happened. We, we, we heard you coming. We were super scared, so we, we hid. And all of that was because of our nakedness. And God asks the question, who, who told you that you are naked? Where did you get that from? Why are you basing your behavior? Why are you basing your emotions? Why are you orienting your life based on this, on this piece of information? And this is important for you and I as well, because there are things in our minds, things in our past, things that we, we see ourselves, lenses that we see ourselves through. And if we're not careful, if we get off on the way that we see ourselves, the way that we see our situation, we can think, feel, behave, relate to God in ways that are completely inappropriate. We can orient our lives by things that aren't, aren't really based on the word of God. We can live according to things that aren't reality, just based on the way that we see ourselves. So we've been asking the question, who, who told you that you're naked? Who told you that you need to feel stress and anxiety and worry be anxious and afraid in your, your life. What is that based on? Where is that stemming from in your life? Because that, that's not found in the word of God. You can't find something in God's word that tells you to be afraid and anxious and concerned and worried. You actually find the opposite, to be anxious about, about nothing. Who, who told you that you need to hide, that you need to be timid, that you need to take steps backwards instead of being bold and stepping out in faith and attempting great things for the kingdom of God? Where does that timidity come from? How do you see yourself that you think you can't use your giftings and make great impact? Like the, like the servant in Matthew chapter 25, it said that he was afraid, so he took his talent and he hid it. What are you basing those decisions on? Who told you that you need to avoid God or that God's disappointed with you, that he's ashamed of you? Where did you get the idea that God doesn't delight to spend time with you? Where do we get that kind of information? We're wrestling with that. Who told you that you're naked? How did you let some detail or some, some part of your life become the banner over you that everything else falls under? If it's not in line with the word of God, we need to re-examine it. Where, where is that stemming from? Because everything we do, everything we feel, the way that we relate to Jesus is going to be filtered through the way that you and I see ourselves. So we've been wrestling with those questions in this series. If you were here last week, we, we talked about our minds, our imaginations, and how God has given us this incredible ability to think. And we talked about how it's actually a creative force. We talked about conceiving things in our mind, similar to the way that a woman conceives things in her womb, that you are not able to deliver any, anything in your life. You're not able to bring anything forth unless first you conceive it. So we, we've got to, the things that we want to deliver in our life, you've got to start with conception. Think, and if we want God's kind of results, God's kind of fruit, then we got, we've got to impregnate ourselves with the seed of God's word. And we, we talked about that. We looked at Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 that says, above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart above all else. Why? Because out of it, from it flow the issues of, of life. That the way 
that your heart goes, that's the way that your life is going to go. And we talked about in the Bible, when it talks about your heart, it's not just some spiritual, ethereal area. It's the center of your thoughts. That's why the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So you see the creative force in that verse, but also where thinking takes place. We looked at Luke chapter 2. That after the shepherds and the angels and the birth of Jesus and all of that, that says that Mary pondered all of these things. Where did she ponder them? It doesn't say she pondered them in her brains. It says she pondered them in her, in her heart. So when the Bible says guard your heart above anything else in your life, the number one thing you need to guard is your heart. It's telling us it's so incredibly important. You've got to guard the way that you think. Guarding means you, you limit what comes in, what goes out. You monitor what's going on. You restrict. Now, we, don't, that there's, we don't allow that kind of behavior. We're supposed to guard our hearts, guard our thoughts along the, those kinds uh, of lines because it's going to determine everything that flows out of our our lives. Then we looked at Romans chapter eight and in Romans chapter eight, it gives us, it gives us some very basic parts of the gospel and asks some questions that if, if this is true, if you really get yourself, if you conceive this truth from the word of God, then what, what's the natural logical way it would play out in your life? Romans chapter eight, verse 31 asks, if God is for us, if God is for you, we talked about that last week. If God is really for you, he's not against you. He's the one leading and guiding and providing for you. He's the one that's gifted you. He's the one who's called you. If God is on your side, if you really get that and let it take root in your life, who, who can be against you? That that's the fruit that's delivered when I conceive that God really is for me. You can walk not afraid. You can walk with incredible joy and peace. No, even if someone is against me, if it's an organization, a force, a person, it doesn't matter why, because God, God is for me. Then he continues. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he also with him not freely give us all things? That if I really get that God loves me so much, that there's nothing he would withhold, the sweetest treasure that heaven has, he gladly spent for me. If I can really get that, if you can really get that, the level of faith and confidence, knowing that there's no good thing that God withholds from those who walk uprightly. If he gave me Jesus, he laid down the life of his son for me. He's not looking to hold anything. You think God's going to start holding back the lesser things? That's nonsense. But first you have to get yourself pregnant with the truth of, of that word. It talks about who is it who condemns? if it's God who justifies? What, what causes you to feel ashamed and like you need to avoid God and like God's angry with you? Who, who is giving you those feelings or the thoughts if God is the one who is your justifier, the lifter of, of your head? Where does it come from? It's, it's not coming from him. If God is your justifier, if you really get, Jesus is interceding for me. Jesus is the one that, that laid down his life for me. What kind of confidence do I have that any, any feeling of condemnation that God doesn't want anything to do with me, that, that is a lie from the devil. So those were just examples that we looked at, things that we can really conceive of, and then the way that that would naturally deliver fruit, fruit in our lives. We were talking about how your mind is a creative force and delivers fruit based on what you conceive. This is so important. It's a neglected area in a lot of people's lives. We looked at Numbers chapter 13, when Moses sent the spies into the promised land, 
to scout it out. And they came back. Ten of them had a bad report. Joshua and Caleb said, we're surely able to take the land. We can do it. The other ten said, there's, there's no way. The walls are thick and the walls are high and the people are strong. And the people are, are, are tall. And it says in verse 33 that we were as grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in theirs. We were like grasshoppers in their sight. And it tells us why. Because first, we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. There's a creative power so strong in your mind that people will begin to perceive you the way that you perceive you. You know, it's interesting. If you continue to read through the story of the Exodus, get to where Joshua takes over and they have a, a second crack at taking the promised land. That, that happened. Then they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. When they come back and Joshua and Caleb are the ones leading the way. Again, they send spies to scout out the land. These, these spies go and they encounter a woman by the name of Rahab who was a prostitute in Jericho. The, the walls are still high. The people are still big and strong. But something has happened with the way that the people living in the land of Canaan are perceiving the children of Israel. Let me read it to you from Joshua chapter 2. Verse nine, this is Rahab talking to the spies and she says this, I know that the Lord has given you the land that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. That, that's a totally different perception. Instead of being viewed as non-threatening grasshoppers to be trampled, now the same people groups are seeing the children of Israel and it's causing them terror. We know they're gonna take this land. We are faint at heart because we're overwhelmed with terror because of these people. What, what happened? Well, because before they saw themselves as grasshoppers, but now with Joshua and Caleb leading the way, they see themselves as mighty warriors that are able to do what God has called them to do. And what happened? Even their enemies perceive them the way that they perceive themselves. It is so important the way that you think. We've made the mistake of separating our behavior and our thoughts. God doesn't see it that way. In the first week of the series, we, we talked about that. God doesn't see some huge void between the, what, what goes on in your mind and what you actually do. Jesus said, if a man looks at woman with lust, as far as he's concerned, you've already committed adultery. That, that's, how, that's how powerful the creative force of your mind is. That when you think about it, God... God doesn't see much of a difference between your, your thought and you actually doing it because your mind is so powerful when it comes to creation. You know, salvation is wonderful. We could never say enough good things about salvation. But if you and I want to be who God's called us to be, just accepting Jesus isn't enough. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that all of creation is longing, eagerly awaiting the revealing or the manifestation of the sons of God. That all creation is waiting for. It's not, it's not saying that the creation of sons of God. It's talking about the revelation of the sons of God, the manifestation. It's not that there aren't children of God who are accepting Jesus. What creation is longing for is to be able to actually see the sons of God made manifest. I'll use this bottle of water as an example. If I hide it in my jacket, it exists. It's there. 
But if you want to see it revealed, that means if I want to make it manifest, I've got to bring it out so you can actually see. It's not a question of whether it exists or not. It's whether people can clearly see it. There's a lot of people who have accepted Jesus, and that's wonderful. But a next step for us to take is actually to begin to live in line with how God's word describes us as the sons and daughters of God. People just like Jesus, all creation is longing, not just for people to mentally assent to what the Bible says, but to get their, their hearts and their minds so pregnant with the truth of God's word to see life, to see themselves, to see their giftings consistent with how Jesus walked, that you could actually see people that live their life as Jesus did, which is what the Bible instructs us to do. Those who say, those who say they walk with God should live their lives as Jesus did. That's what we're instructed to do. So this is an incredibly important area for us to focus on. So last week we talked about the creative force of our minds. I want to take a few minutes this morning and talk about the way we use our mind has the potential to limit what God can do in us and through us, which again is important because a lot of people make the mistake that because God is so powerful, because he's so mighty, because he is sovereign, that he can just do whatever he wants to do. That if God wants it to happen, it'll, it'll happen. If something terrible happens, we shrug our shoulders and say, well, God must have had a plan. He works in mysterious ways. You and I have the ability through our minds to limit, to limit God. You know, one of the areas that people struggle with this, struggle with seeing themselves the way that God's word describes is because you know the negative things about your character, the negative things about your past, you know your weaknesses, you know your shortcomings, and sometimes those things are so convincing, and you know that they're valid, you know that they're true, so it's hard to really think of yourself differently than that long list of things about yourself that you are unpleased with. You know, I recently hired one of my daughters to collect acorns for me. She's filling buckets of acorns from our yard and then selling them back to me. We've got a couple of oak trees close to our house, dropping a lot of acorns on the porch, on the yard, and hunting season's right around the corner, and I don't plan on, on hunting you know, in the driveway. So I thought, I'll have her fill up some buckets of these acorns, and I can take them out, deer like, deer like to eat them, and so that, that's what we're working on at our house. So if you have any acorns for sale... Please see me after service. But an acorn is interesting. When you, when you look at it, you could describe it accurately and say, you know, this one is green. It'll turn brown eventually. But right now, it's just a green, oblong, little weird ball, right? Accurate description. That's, that's what it is. Other trees give off little round things. Like an apple tree gives off apples, but at least those are good to eat. They taste good. You can make a pie out of them. You can, you know, make juice out of it. Not so with this little acorn. It doesn't, it doesn't taste good. If I made you an acorn pie, you probably wouldn't be, you know, really excited about it. Uh, there's not a, you know, so it's not good to eat, at least for people anyway. Uh, you, you can't, you wouldn't build anything out of this, out of this acorn. You start trying to stack them up. They start rolling all over the place. They don't even roll good. They just kind of awkwardly wobble away. I mean, so you, all of that is accurate, right? Everything I've said about this acorn is true. And that's one way of perceiving it, one, one area of its qualities to focus on. But then you could take a different perspective on the same exact thing and say, oh, you know, I'm going to set all that aside because I know some other things that are true about this same acorn, that it has unlimited potential to produce untold things 
thousands of mighty oak trees that you could build homes, you could build furniture, you could build all kinds of things. There's so much potential. There's the potential of a whole forest in this, in this little acorn. Now that, that is also true. But the way that you think of it, the way you describe it, what you choose to focus on is going to determine what you do with it, the value you place on it. One, one description, one way of thinking, you might toss it in the trash. Whereas the other one, you might cherish it and, and hold it hold it as something precious, so full of potential. Many of us have learned an unhealthy habit of thinking of yourself in a way that God did not describe you. Orienting your life on things that did not come from the heart of the Father. Thinking of yourself, operating in a way God didn't describe you in those terms. The problem is the negative side of how you think of yourself is so convincing that it's hard for you to let go of and really grasp. No, here's how God describes them. Because you know that list of bad stuff, it's all true. But here's the thing. We've been talking about Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By what goes on in your mind, transformation takes place. What does it mean to be transformed? That you are made completely different, right? That, that's what transformation means, that I'm made different different than I was. So even if there is a long list of negative things, if I can start thinking in line with God's word, that, that those things don't matter because I'll actually be transformed where those things become untrue descriptions of me. Amen. Abraham is a great example of this. Abraham, God changed his name to Abraham, which means father of many nations or father of a multitude. That's how God described him. Abraham. Here's how I see you. I'm changing your name. You father of many nations, you. That, that's how I see you. Now, according to the natural, that, that, that wasn't true. Abraham, how old are you? 75. How many kids do you have? None. Abraham, you're 85 now. How many kids do you have? None. 95. How many kids? None. He's calling himself father of, father of a multitude. But he was renewing his mind, getting it ingrained, getting himself pregnant with that seed. Here's how God sees me. So all of the negative things in his life that people could point out, unfruitful, barren, no air, unproductive, incapable, that whole list of things became untrue. God can take those negative things about your life, those things that describe you, and actually make them so they're no longer true anymore. As you renew your mind and begin to think of yourself, your situation in line with the word of God, that's how transformation takes place. But if you won't let go of those negative things and allow God just to erase them and rewrite, reprogram your way of thinking, it's, you're going to put a limit on what God can do in you and through you. The, the devil knows how powerful this is. That's why when the enemy is targeting people and wants to hold them down and limit them, you know where he attacks? He attacks their minds. Let me read you from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 4, it says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded what? Blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. The, the enemy will work on people's minds. If he wants to hurt someone, if he can affect the way they think, keep them from perceiving the truths of God's word, he's held them down effectively. Let me give you another example. Ephesians chapter four, verse 17 says this. 
This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. We'll keep reading, but the the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is writing, saying you've got to change the way that you live your life. And if you want to change the way that you're walking, change the way that you're living, where do you start? You've You've got to use your mind differently. You can't allow your mind to be futile, not producing not powerful, not effective. Don't walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of that ignorance, the futility of their mind, their understanding darkened. So a futile mind with darkened understanding, what's the result according to that verse? Alienation from the life of God. You can become alienated, separated from the life and the power and the blessing of God. How? But by your mind being futile and darkened. It begins to separate you from the power and the life of God. It happens to people all the time. The enemy will start to darken your mind. You start to focus on the negative things. Uh, You know, I know the Bible says this, but it just doesn't seem to play out in my case. You are separating yourself from the life of God. We've got to be careful, good stewards of the minds that God has given us in this power. Otherwise, we can limit what God is doing in our lives. Turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 4. Second Kings chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, one day... The widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord, but now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you? Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all, except a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, Borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friend's and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And when the And then the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, now sell the olive oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on what is left over. This is an incredible story. A woman's in need. The man of God tells her what to do, gives her instructions. He asks her, what what, what do you have? She says nothing and then adds, well, I've got this little flask of oil. He says, okay, gather a bunch of jars, start pouring it into one one after another, and that's what she does, and this this amazing miracle takes place where that that oil just keeps on flowing and flowing and flowing. So let's use our imaginations for a minute. Let's pretend that this is a flask of oil. I didn't have a flask. The only person I know who carries a flask is my wife, and she said she was using it today, so I had to use this picture. So let's just pretend instead of water that this is, this is oil, right? So she took this, this pitcher and, and she had to borrow jars. So let me borrow some jars. Bring as many jars as you can. I'm borrowing jars from friends and neighbors and 
Whoever happened to bring jars today? Anyone else have jars? Just you? Okay, perfect. Okay, let, let me have a jar. I'm going to fill it up. Not very good at pouring. Filled to the brim. Okay, next jar. Bring it up. Set it aside, just like you said. Bring me another jar. Full to the brim. Okay, I'm just going to keep on pouring, right? We're using our imagination. It just keeps on going and going and going. Filled to the brim. Now, I've filled them all to the brim, but I, I've still, this is, this is just imaginary magic flask here. I, I still have more to give, but the jars are no longer re receiving anymore, right? So we, this jar, what limited how much this jar could receive? The, the size of the jar, because the flask of oil, as far as the oil was concerned, the oil was unlimited. It knew no limits. So this jar itself could have received twice as much oil it could have received five times as much oil. The only thing that limited what the oil was capable of doing in this jar was the jar itself. It's one of the amazing things about this story is it's showing how even what is unlimited can become limited. Now, it's an amazing story of God doing a miracle on behalf of this widow, but something else is taking place. There's a parallel or there is a type because we know in the Bible when it talks about oil, what is that a picture of? It's a picture of the Holy Spirit, right? The indwelling presence and power of God. That we know it is unlimited. What is a jar represented? People, right? The jar is, is a picture of, of people. Paul, Paul said in 2 Corinthians that we have this treasure in jars of clay. Talking about the power of God, the, the wonderful power of the gospel in us. We're just, we're just jars. So the jar actually has the potential to limit what on its own is completely unlimited. And it's a picture not just of what happened in this, this widow's household. It's a picture of what happens in people's lives. That God is unlimited what he can do in you and what he can do through you. The only limit he comes up against is how small you and I are in our minds and in our thinking. That if you've got small dreams and small hopes and small plans and small expectations. That's the only thing limiting God from what he is able to do. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter three, God is able to do immeasurably more than anything you can ask, anything you can imagine, according to what? According to the power that's working on the inside of you. The power on the inside of you knows no limits other than the limits you place on it. And I want to suggest to you that the number one we play, way we place limits on the power of the Holy Spirit is in our minds. It's in the way that we think, what we dare to hope for, believe for, the way I can imagine, conceive God using me. What are the limits you place on yourself? Where do you make yourself a small jar? Because what God wants to flow in you and through you, it's, it's unlimited, other than when you come into the picture. God is unlimited in his ability to use us, to flow through us, and the number one way we limit God is in our minds. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 78. Psalm 78 is giving kind of a retelling or a recount of the children of of Israel and the story of them coming out of Egypt, traveling through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. In verse 41, it says this, Yes, again and again, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power the day when he redeemed them from the enemy, 
when he worked his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the, wonders in the field of Zon. It says, again and again, they tempted God and they limited the Holy One of Israel. Who is the Holy One of Israel? Who is it talking about being limited in this? It's talking about God. God is the Holy One. <laughs> God is the Holy One of, of Israel. It's talking about the creator of the universe, the one who spoke the world into existence, that this group of people actually put a limit on what he was desirous to do. Think of the story of the Exodus, the, the plagues, the things that, that broke the children of Israel free and were, were sent out of Egypt, the way they crossed through the Red Sea on dry land, the way that God turned the bitter water into sweet or caused water to flow from a rock. Amazing miracles, but God wasn't done. It says that they limited him. And if they limited him, that meant he had more to do, more to offer. They, they missed out on different blessings, different demonstrations of power, different ways that he wanted to provide for them, different ways they could have known him, different levels that they could have had fellowship with him. They placed a low lid on what God wanted to do. How did they do it? How were these people able to limit the Holy One of Israel? Well, it tells us they limited the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power the day when he re redeemed them from the enemy, when he worked his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zone, They didn't remember. They placed a limit on God Almighty. How? The way that they thought. What was going on in their minds? What they focused on? Who knows how that story would be if they didn't do this? Those plagues, those miracles, God was just warming up. He had all kinds of stuff he wanted to do, but they limited him. They limited him. You know the story. They come through the Red Sea. They're in the wilderness. First, they're rejoicing and they're praising God. It doesn't take too long before they start saying things like, you know what? I, th I think maybe we were better off in Egypt. I don't think it was that bad. Actually, I think, honestly, I think we should have stayed. I think we should have stayed in Egypt. Right? They started talking like that. Started feeling bad for themselves. I think God brought us out here to kill us. I think that's what he's doing. Talking about we're just, we're just a sad group of people wandering through the desert. We're just weary sojourners passing through, right? It's an easy mindset for believers to start to think in those, in those terms. And when you have that crappy mindset, it limits what God is able to do in you and through you. You're just like the Israelites. God has more he is able to do on your behalf. Whatever he's shown himself faithful, whatever miracles you've witnessed, whatever God has done in you and through you, God's just getting warmed up. The only limitation on how God wants to use you and flow through and lift you higher and use you for impact is the limitation you put on yourself. How are you limiting God? In what ways do you think of yourself small? You're putting the brim low for God. He wants to fill you to the brim, but your brim is so low, you're limiting what he can do in you. Because the bigger the jar, God's going to fill it to the brim. It didn't, tell, it didn't tell us anything about the size of the jar. Every one of those jars, no matter what size, it got filled to the brim. The only limit, the only limit was the size of the jar. But where are you limiting yourself? Where are you limiting God? Where are you cutting off your potential? He's just getting warmed up in your life. He's just starting to show how much he loves you. He's just starting to put his power on display in you and through you. He's just getting warm up. Don't limit him. I want to challenge you just right now. Even think, answer that question in your mind. Where, where do you think of yourself small? 
Where do you say, I don't think God could do this? I don't see at this point in my life how I would ever, how I would ever get to that level. I, I just have always kind of thought of myself as a mediocre dad, as a, not a very good mom, as a, I'm, not a, I'm not a very smart businessman. Whatever it is, you're, you're putting the brim low, making yourself small, putting a limit on what is unlimited. I'll be super transparent. I'll share one of them for me just as an example. God has blessed me by allowing me to be around some incredible leaders, some great men of God, some that have other ministries, some in our, in our own church family. There's some great leaders in our church. So God has blessed me by getting to be around people like that. But if I'm not careful, I can compare myself to them and start to think, I'm not half the leader that guy is. Man, I, compared to him, I am such a low caliber leader. And I, I, I start to lower the brim. I, I'm not saying that for, for sympathy or for someone to encourage me. I'm just sharing because this is an area I'm, I'm letting God renew my mind. Not for my own sake so I can get to where I strut around with confidence because I want God to be able to use me to a greater extent. I want his power to flow in me and through me and not allow my small-mindedness to limit what God is able to do. I, I want to be a wide-open channel, the biggest jar I can possibly be to have as much power and anointing for God to be able to use me. Because I know God, as far as God's concerned, he's just getting warmed up with me, just like he is with you. We don't want to limit God. Let me read a couple of more verses. Then we'll pray. Psalm 103 says, verse 14, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God knows our frame. God knows your frame. God knows my frame. Now, something that's interesting about frames is frames really play a key role in the size of something, whatever it is. You know, I, I will probably, I will probably never be 6'5". I just probably won't. I'll probably be 6'4 for the rest of my life. I just, I'm just, I'm, I'm six foot. But you know what determines that? It doesn't matter how much I work out doesn't matter how much protein I eat. doesn't matter in my diet, my exercise. I, I'm limited by what? By my frame. I, I've just got a six-foot frame. It just, it is what it is. Your house has a frame. When they built your house, if it's like mine, it's, it's a wooden frame. They use two-by-fours, right? Which is great for a house, but it also limits what that house can be. It limits the size. The, the, structure, the frame controls the size and, and the capacity and the weight that it can hold. This building has a frame. It's exposed in this room. You can see part of the frame, right? So this, this building used to be a toy store. We were able to change a lot of things, and now it's a church. It's actually a better church than it was a, it was a toy store. So this frame allows for those things, but this, this building will never be a skyscraper. Not, not with this frame. It couldn't, it couldn't support the weight. Right? That, that's one of the things that frames do. They're often hidden, hidden in the walls, your bones hidden in your body, but they control the size of the things that you can see. In Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, it says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Whose mind is stayed on you. In the Hebrew, that word that's translated mind in that verse is the exact same word that's translated frame in Psalm 103, verse 14. So the Bible makes a connection 
between our mind, our thoughts, our imagination, and a frame because they're actually very, very similar. You can't see them. They're behind the scenes, but they're, they're strength. They're, they're controlling how large something can be, the weight that it can bear, what it's able to support or what it's not able to support. It's the same way with your thoughts and the way that your mind works and the way, the way you see God using you or not using you. It's a hidden part of your life, but it's supporting everything that happens, the size that you are, what you're able to contain, what your capacity is in the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus said nothing would be impossible for you. He said the same works that I've done, you'll do, this, you'll do them and even greater works. The power working on the inside of you, I quoted it earlier from Ephesians chapter three, God's able to do immeasurably more. You can't measure how much more infinitely more than anything you could ask, anything you could dream up according to the power that God's already has stored on the inside of you. Where are you limiting yourself? Where are you limiting God? I would challenge you to find verses that correspond. Verses like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And not just know them, not just have them on the back of one of your t-shirts, not just have it as a favorite verse, but have it as a seed that you are, are conceiving and bring forth fruit in your life. To begin to reorient your mind. Allow God to reprogram the way that you see life, that you see yourself, what he's able to do in you and through you. And raise, raise the brim so you don't limit what really has no limit. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.